Hey, this is Mitch Rose. I'm the lead pastor of City Hills Church, and this is our podcast. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope this message encourages you, it inspires you, it challenges you to live your best life. Take a listen. Here's this week's message. Come on, City Hills. Can you give Jesus? Come on, you can do better than that. Come on, from the front to the back, can you give Jesus your very best? He's worthy. Stay standing for a moment. I just want to look at you. Um, heard about you. You know, it's always good you hear about somebody's baby to get to see the baby. It's even better. And um, don't you love your pastors? What gifts. If I could teach you for just a moment. I know you've been standing a little while, but just for a moment. If I could teach you for a second. The Bible says that those who labor in doctrine and the word are worthy of double honor. And honor simply means this. It doesn't mean people worship. It means to esteem highly or to place value on. So the things you place value on are the things that you honor. And dishonor means to treat something as common. And here's what I know. When God is moving in your midst, if you don't value it or honor it, you'll treat it as common. And what you treat as common will eventually leave your life. So if you don't value your spouse, it can have detrimental effects on your If you don't value your children, if you don't value your church, if you don't value the leaders in your life, eventually they leave your life because people won't be treated as common. They won't be dishonored forever. Are you with me? And, um, and so I believe that in a healthy culture, honor flows up, down, and all around. And I just think everything goes better with honor. And I don't know about you, but I look around at culture and I think it'd, it'd do better with a little more honor. You know, honoring those in authority, honoring our school teachers, honoring our law enforcement, honoring those who are in authority. And, and here's the deal, as believers, honoring them whether you agree with them or not. Are you with me? Not I'll honor you if I like you or agree with you, but I can show honor to you. Because here's the deal, honor is based on your character, not other people's conduct. You got to remember that. It's based on your character. So I don't honor you. I can honor you whether I know you or not because it's based on my character not on how you behave. And, uh, and so can we just show honor to your pastors? Thank God for their yes to come to this city. Believe God for something great. Awesome. You can have a seat. Happy five years. Five years old. It's like, I think you made to kindergarten, right? You're like kindergarten. Um, I just am honored to be here. I want to say welcome from Virginia on behalf of our church. My wife is with us, Tammy, my wife of 17 years. Um, we had the privilege of uh, starting LifePoint in 2005, and it's been an amazing journey ever since then. And uh, the church was our first baby, and now we have four more. So we have a 14-year-old, a 12-year-old, took a big old break, have a 4-year-old, and a 2-year-old that we adopted. He came to us on five days old. Um, so he's, he's a big joy. And uh, so the older two need all of our emotional energy. The littles need all of our physical energy. So we're drained on both ends, y'all. So pray for us. Everybody's like, man, you must really love kids. No, I really like my wife a lot. And kids resulted in that. And uh, so, um, but honored to be with you. You ready for the word today? I think it's going to be a great day. How exciting that uh, there's a building on the horizon for you guys. Come on. If that's new news to you, some of you aren't clapping, so I'm guessing you didn't know. If you don't know, City Hills has a lease on a building, going to be your own facility. Come on, if you're on setup and tear down, you're like, praise God, a little extra. 
What an exciting thing. And what's even more exciting is this, is you get to be a part of establishing that facility. Your first is always special. You know, your first, your first child, there's, they'll tell anybody, but if you're second born, sorry, but there's something about the first, the first building you get as a church, there's something real special about that, and, and you get to be in on it. I think it's a privilege. You know, I believe church, I don't have to, church isn't a have-to thing, it's a get-to thing. And, uh, and generosity isn't a have-to thing, it's a get-to. Serving isn't a have-to, I get-to. And if you've never been around a church where you get to be a part of, then welcome. This is an exciting thing. And, and so you get to be a part of, of this, this first, the first of many. Just tell you, this ain't going to be the first and last. It's only a seed of what God's going to do. Um, God never meant for his church to be a holy huddle and us four and no more. Uh, can we just get together? No, he meant for us to be on mission. I say it this way. We're not a cruise ship where you come and, you know, order your cocktail. We're a battleship where you come and man your station because we're on a mission to push back darkness. Are, are y'all, am I in the wrong church? We came to push back darkness and to see lives transformed and exciting times. Hey, let me read the scripture to you today. 1 Samuel 17, it'll be on the screen for you if you don't have a copy of the Bible. This is uh, in the context of David and Goliath. If you've been around the scriptures, you maybe are familiar with that story. Even if you're not, you may have heard of the giant Goliath and David, the young man that is fighting him. And this is what David says to Saul. Saul is the king. He says, don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. And this was Saul's reply. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. So David's desire to kill the giant as a teenager, probably 13 to 15 years old, somewhere in that range, with only a sling and a few stones, Saul's reply to his desire to go take down this Goliath was don't be ridiculous. He said, there's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. And he says, you're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. If you're a note taker, I want you to write down this title. If not, I want you to write down this title. (laughs) Reasonable or ridiculous. You have a choice to make in your faith. You'll either live a reasonable life, or you'll live with ridiculous faith. Let's pray. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would open our hearts and minds. We want to hear everything that you have to say to us. We believe the word can change us. And so may we receive it with open hearts today. May we never be the same because of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said a big amen. Amen. If you're a parent, I want you to know something. There's two types of trips that you take. If you're not a parent, you need to learn this for when you become a parent if you so desire. There's two types of trips. Number one, there is a trip that you take, and that's with the whole family. That includes children. Then there's vacations. Can I get a better amen from the parents in the house? There's trips. That's where everybody comes along. That's where all four of the kids come with us. It's a circus in the airport. It's one of those uh, luggage carts. You know what I'm talking about? By the way, this works better if if you interact with me, okay? It'll go a whole lot better and maybe shorter. Just saying. Um, But we have those luggage carts. They're stacked up. We bring pack and plays, y'all. We bring mattresses for the pack and play we bring strollers we got diaper bags still yes I'm 45 with a diaper bag still my son will be 60 when I graduate high school I don't know what I was thinking and so like that that we come through the airport everybody knows we're coming through the airport that is a trip then there's vacations where it's just me and Tammy 
that is we, take, we get our coffee on the way to the gate. You know what I'm saying? Like we bring our backpack. We like take our time because we don't have the whole circus with us. It's just us because we're on vacation. So we took a vacation this summer. And on that vacation, I was turning 45. I, I was, I, you know, it was my last day of being 44. We got there on Friday. And on Saturday, we were with some friends, my chief of staff at the church, his wife's my assistant. We were with our, another couple, our very best friends that are our neighbors. Um, we, we moved into the same neighborhood together. Um, we have 13 acres between us. Come on, like it's, it's a little piece of paradise. They're outside of the craziness of D.C. Pray for us in the name of Jesus. We need help up there. And so um, we, we, uh, we're all vacation. We decide we'll go on this excursion. And the excursion was this. You take a boat and you visit three different caves. And then the last stop, you go cliff jumping. And I was like, this will be a whole lot of fun. My chief of staff is a... Um, He's former Navy Special Forces, and, and now he's in the reserves, and he works for me and does a bunch of other things. And so he's like, we're all about, like, let's go do this. My best friend is um, just came out of the Air Force. And so, you know, they're military guys, and we're like, we're going to go jump off this cliff. So every stop, what you do is you jump off the boat, then you swim out into the cave. Um, and you, we learned if you'll clap your hands that bats will come flying out. That was a lot of fun. Tammy didn't enjoy that as much as I did. But I was like, this is kind of cool. One of the caves the Pirates of the Caribbean was filmed in. They did some filming in there. So that was kind of cool to see. Then the last one is this famous um, cafe with cliff jumping. And there is a 25-foot cliff. Then there's like a 40-foot cliff. And there's a local that if you'll pay him like 40 bucks, he'll jump off the 45-foot cliff and everybody can watch him. So we're all going up. There's a lower cliff, like 10 feet. Then there's 25 feet. We can't stop at the 10-foot because we're men. And so we like, you know, immediately we go up. There's a few guys there, locals, that are like, we're not lifeguards. Read this sign. This could cause bodily harm and damage to you and permanent back, you know, all that. We're like, okay, got that. Let's go jump off the cliff, right? So my chief of staff, Kyle, he jumps off first. He's like straight as a pencil, like a little torpedo going down, right? And the guy tells, keep your arms to your side, your feet to your side. Well, I go to jump off. I'm a little concerned about the rocks, so I want to jump out far enough so I'm looking out to make sure. Well, I jump looking like this, which means I bend my body, and I land on the water right about here, like on either side. And I have, I have tender spots on my leg for about a month, like bruising on my leg. But the worst part was what I did to my back. So my chiropractor later helped me understand that when I hit the water, I compressed my spine and I came forward. So I got like massive whiplash, basically. So Tammy, I get on the boat. We have to swim back to the boat. The waves are crashing. There's all these boats creating all this wake. And, um, and so I feel like Ashton Kutcher in that like diver movie. You know what I mean? I'm not Kevin Costner because I'm not that old. I'm like, I'm like, I'm Ashton Kutcher. I'm swimming back to the boat. And so I sat down. She goes, you all right? I was like, nope, that hurt bad. She goes, when did you know? I said, about halfway down when I was falling. And so all week long, any, I don't know if anybody else is like this, but my mind can go into the darkest places real fast. Like I couldn't see a chiropractor. I couldn't get an MRI. I didn't know what was happening in my body. All I know is that I was in constant pain for the rest of my vacation right between my shoulder blades, and it was radiating out. And out my feet and my hands were tingling. Like, I mean, I just, I, in my mind, I was like, all right, I'll never play in the floor with my two-year-old again. I'm going to be in, I'm going to have back surgery. I'm going to be on a walker preaching. Like, I may have to give up the church and the call. Like, I'm just, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just, are you, anybody else with me? Am I the only, y'all are so spiritual. To, it's awesome. I'm glad you're so in love with Jesus and you're so, 
hypocrites. And so I'm so glad, but my mind just went to like this really dark place really fast because I didn't know what was going on in my back. And so I started thinking to myself all week, like, you've got to stop this. Like, you've got to, you, you know, you're 45 now. Your body doesn't recover as quick as it did. Like, you may think you're that young in your mind, but you're not 20 anymore. You've got a college you're president of. You've got a church that you're responsible for. You've got children that you've got to be there for until you're kind of old because you had one in your 40s. And, like, like you've got like you to start playing a little reasonable. I mean, I went to the place of, like, I have... I have a fat boy, Harley, and I was like, maybe I should sell the Harley, but then I was like, rebuke that spirit. That was an evil spirit. In the name of Jesus, get away from me. Like, and I was just like, I got to play it safe a little bit more. And here's what the Spirit of God said. Don't you let that play it safe mentality get in your faith, though. And I think over the last 18 months, and maybe more for some of us, that we have allowed reasonable living to seep into our faith. Because for, and, and I understand throughout the pandemic, people were trying to do what they knew was best and, and figure, and nobody knew how to really handle it. But here's what happened is that you were told everything you could not do. You can't go out to eat. You can't go to the nursing home. You can't go to the hospital with your wife that's having a baby. You can't go see a friend. You, you can't go out to dinner. You can't gather in groups. You can't have a cookout in your back. And you told all the things that you can't do for so long that you can begin to allow that mentality to seep into your walk with Jesus. And you can begin to believe, well, I don't know if I can dream anymore. I don't know if I can expect that God would heal my body. I don't know that I could expect that God would restore my marriage. I don't know that I should expect that we could be the kind of church that makes a difference in the hill country I don't know if I could and you will allow reasonable living to seep into your life because here's the deal every one of you have a Paul a Saul speaking into your ear David don't be ridiculous are you crazy why are you thinking that why are you believing why do you think as a little teenager with a sling and a few stones you can go down and take down a giant that is a man of war since his youth don't be ridiculous and all of you have a Saul that is speaking in your ear going don't be ridiculous you really think you can get that promotion don't be ridiculous. You really think you can make a difference in your school? Don't be ridiculous. You really think that you can pray and believe that your child who is a prodigal would come back to God? Don't, and you will begin to live for, for reasonable things. Well, I guess I just have to settle. I guess I just have to live below. Most believers, I believe, are living below the level of your inheritance. If Jesus paid for it on the cross, the psalmist David said, Bless the Lord, all my soul, and all that's within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, all my soul, and forget not all his benefits. You get some benefits when you get employed by a job. Can I tell you something? That when you said yes to Jesus, you got some benefits with that. The Bible says that he pulled me out of the pit. That he set my feet on solid ground. That he heals all my diseases. That he sets me free from all of my yesterdays so I can find purpose in all of my tomorrows. Why in the world would you live below the level of your inheritance in Christ? I say it like this, if Jesus bought you everything in the store, why would you leave anything on the shelf? And most of us, I believe, in our faith journey are living at reasonable. Well, I just got to be reasonable. I just, I can't expect more than just getting by. I can't expect more than just, 
like playing it safe, like huddling. And even in this, even more so, we're like, just, man, if we just got to hunker down and, and get through it. No. We just need to like, I just, I just want it small enough. We just got to get away from the evils of the world. No, we've been called to be a city set on a hill. We've been called to let our light so shine before men that they might see our good works. Well, if they're going to see our good works, then we've got to get outside the walls of these buildings and they've got to see something different in us. They've got to see a people, not weird, but spirit in power. By the way, the Holy Spirit doesn't make you weird. People are weird. They've got to see a people so full of, how can you walk through that diagnosis with joy? How can you be facing hell but have faith on your lips? They need to see a people set on a hill, a light shining in the darkness. I'm just telling you this area doesn't need another church. But they do need a people so full of faith, so full of the power of God. Believing that Jesus really does change lives. That he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That he is still working. That if he did it for the church in Acts, why would he not do it for us today in the here and now? But I've never seen Goliath fall at the feet of reasonable people. Giants only fall at the feet of ridiculous people. I've never seen reasonable people build anything great. I've never seen reasonable people transform a city. I've never seen reasonable people. It's ridiculous people. It's ridiculous faith. Just a little obsessed with what God... I mean, just think about it in the natural world. You don't get to the NFL because you're reasonable at your skill. It's because you're ridiculous in your obsession about becoming the best that you can possibly be. You don't, you, you, you don't, you don't build a great business by just being reasonable. I just kind of hope it's show. I just show up every day, kind of hope something happens. No, it's because you get obsessed about ridiculous. Go, why to build something? You don't build a great life just by hoping it happens. Just like kind of, well, just going to kind of ride through, going to kind of coast through life. No, no, it's because you lean in. Everybody goes, man, you're a little bit crazy, a little bit ridiculous. Those are the people that change the world. I don't know about you, but I want to be on the changing the world team. I don't want to get to the end of my life and go, it didn't matter. for. Well, I, I built retirement and was able to retire. That's what I did with my life, God. No, I want to say I plundered hell and I filled heaven as much as I possibly could with my life. Come on, can you put your hands together? In the next few moments, I want to, I want to give you a, a story that really depicts this idea of reasonable or ridiculous. In Acts chapter 3, it'll be on the screen for you. It says, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in 3 o'clock prayer service. And as they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in each day. He was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. I love the details that Luke gives. Luke is a doctor. He's the author of the book of Acts. He's also the author of the book of Luke, one of the Gospels. 
And he says that Peter and John are going up. It's 21 days of prayer at the temple. I'm kidding. I don't know. (laughs) They're going up to pray. But at the same time, this lame man is coming, and he's being laid at the gate, and he's laid there every day. Don't you love that God orders your steps? That, that, that you can plan your ways, but the steps of the righteous are ordered of the Lord. That God had a kind of a divine intersection to happen that day. Don't you love it when God sets that up for you? Like, like brings you in contact with people you couldn't get in contact with yourself. That opens a door you couldn't open for yourself. I'm just telling you, that's the kind of God that we serve. And he was laid there every day. And, and it was a strategic and it was a reasonable thing for him to do. Being by the city gate was a very reasonable and strategic thing because in... Jewish religion, they, had an, uh, they believed they had a moral obligation to help the poor. So he was a smart dude. I'm going to go sit by the gate and ask for money from people that believe they have a moral obligation to help me. Are you with me? This guy had no other way to earn money. You're living in a livestock and an agricultural society. He had no way. Or a carpentry, a skill set, a fisher. You're, 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 you're living in a society that you needed your body to be strong in order to earn money. And so his only source of income was to go lay by the gate. And Peter and John come along and he's laying outside the gate. I think it's ironic to me that he's laying outside the gate begging for money when there is a prayer meeting going on inside the gate. There are too many people in this region that are outside the gate asking for metaphorically money in their life when they could get inside the gate and ask for a miracle. And so he's sitting by the gate with his jar. I don't know if it was a mason jar, but it should be. Sweet tea tastes better in a mason jar, doesn't it? Come on, somebody. That or a red solo. I'm a red solo cup guy. Red solo cup, we lift you up. Let's have a... I'm sorry. I need to go back to Virginia. Y'all are too spiritual. But he's sitting outside the gate, and he's just like, everybody that passed by, will you give me some money? When he could have went inside and asked for a miracle. And I think this metaphorically represents some of us in our lives that that we, we would rather sit at the gate. Oh, we walk into the church building, but we, we are settling for less in our life. And we're just, uh, we're just asking for, for crumbs, just a little bit. Could I just have a little bit? And so, God, would you just do a little thing? We don't really want to ask God for the miracle. We don't want to believe for a great thing. We don't want to believe God for, the, you know, the Ephesians 4 life of exceedingly, abundantly, and above. Anything we could ask or imagine, we've just kind of, life has beat us up. Circumstances have been hard. And so we just kind of settle for, I don't want to believe that my husband could get radically saved and be on fire for God and lead our home in that way. So I'll just kind of settle for less than, I don't, I don't want to really believe that I could have healing in my body. And so I'll just settle for less. I, I don't want to really believe that God could use me to make a difference in the lives of others. So I'll just kinda, I just kind of want to go Monday through Friday, just kind of want to work my job, kind of want to be under the radar. I don't want God to see me. I'm afraid he'll zap me with his heavenly taser gun. If, if I get two on the scene, so I just want to settle for less in our life. Yeah. And we're living below the inheritance of what God has for us, just walking through life like this. And on some level, I get it. On some level, I get it because I think some of us, we live in this place because we feel unworthy. Who am I to ask God to do something great in my life? I mean, Pastor, I couldn't even get it right for one week, let alone my past. 
I mean, what I thought about my boss this week, I've come a long way, I didn't say it. When I lashed out at anger in my children and regretted it all day long and felt shame the whole next day and didn't know how to apologize to them, who am I to ask for anything more but just ticket into heaven? With the abuse of my past, who am I to believe for more in my life? And so we feel unworthy, and I get it. But I just want to remind you that your worthiness in the eyes of God are not based on your conduct. It's based on the work of Jesus on the cross. So you don't... You don't come before God because you've got it all together. Matter of fact, it's the thing most people miss about Christianity is I don't come to God when I have it all together. I come to God because without Him, it's impossible for me to begin to make progress in my journey of faith. Are y'all with me today? Like, I don't, I don't stand here anything save the cross of Jesus Christ. I am not worthy in myself. I have not figured it out in myself, but I stand worthy going, God, I'm I'm going to believe you for great things. God, I want to be used in a great way. God, I'm going to ask for miracles in my life. Not because I'm good, but because you're good. And I know the character of God. If you're with me, say amen. amen. But we settle for less sometimes because we think we're unworthy. And so we just stay at the gate. But I think we also stay at the gate and, and choose to settle for less and Content with just a little, because on some level it works. I've learned this about humanity and about myself, is we usually take the path of the least resistance. That, that's why, remember the workout plan you started in January? So you got, some of you got to think back a little while. Remember the diet plan? Remember, remember, remember everything that was going to happen January 1? Remember the Bible reading plan? You're like, yeah, I got through Genesis. I'm not saying that, continue. I'm just saying we take the path of least resistance. Do we not? Sometimes the path of least resistance, it's through the hot sign at Krispy Kreme. You know what I'm saying? Like sometimes, come on, y'all with me? And on some level it works. It's dysfunctional, but we've learned how to function in the dysfunction, and so we stay here. It's dysfunctional, and the bitterness that we feel towards the person that hurt us years ago is still in our heart, and it affects how we see everybody else. And I can't trust you because I never learned to forgive them, and so we've learned to live with our dysfunction. And so we bleed on people that never cut us. Because we've learned that this works on some level. It works on some level to... Stay outside the gate because if I go inside the gate, I may get a miracle. And if I get a miracle, I may have to change how I live. But you know what also is scary about reasonable living? Is that you can find some people that will join you in it. You can find some people that that like you to live reasonable. See, watch this. Saul wasn't upset that David would go fight Goliath. 
He did not call him ridiculous because he would go fight Goliath. He called him ridiculous because David's ridiculous faith shone the light on Saul's reasonable living. Both men looked at the same situation. One looked at it through the eyes of faith. One looked at it through the eyes of the natural. The one with the eyes of faith made the one looking at it through the natural uncomfortable. Let me give you an example. Have you ever started to lose weight and somebody around you go, Oh, oh, you're only leading lettuce today? Have you ever got a promotion or a job raise and someone go, oh, it must be nice? Have you ever bought something new and go, it must be nice to have that? It's not that they have a problem that you've lost weight. It's that your discipline is shining a light on their lack of discipline. Your promotion is shining a light that they haven't done the things that it took to get promoted. And so people like to keep you reasonable. They like to keep you stuck. You will find some people that will come along and go, no, keep gossiping because I like to gossip with you. And it makes me feel comfortable when you gossip. Keep talking about your husband because I don't want my marriage to get better. I want to just nag and complain about him. And I like to have somebody to do it with. How many of you know that negativity likes company? And people will come along and throw joy coins in your jar, metaphorically, to keep you stuck in reasonable living, to keep you stuck in dysfunction, to keep you stuck in believing God can't do for you what God is doing for other people. I've come from Virginia to get you to throw the jar away and say no more reasonable living for me. I've come to step into ridiculous faith in my life. Come on, City Hills. God has more for you. He is the God of exceedingly, abundantly, and above anything that you can ask or imagine. God has more for you. But you've got to make the choice, no more reasonable living. No more reasonable living in any area of my life. Whatever that area is where God is calling you to take a step of faith individually in your life where is it that you've settled for reasonable where is it in in your personal life your professional life your spiritual life your emotional life your mental where is it have you just settled for reasonable you've there's got to come a moment where you go no more sitting at the gate in this area of my life you you as a church family and if you're visiting, man, we're glad you're here. The real preacher will be back next week. It'll be so much better. Why is this guy from Virginia yelling at us? You're like, what is his problem? And he spits. As a church family, in, in, the, in the next few weeks, you will choose reasonable or ridiculous. It's, it's, it's a line in the sand moment in the history of this, it won't be your last building, but it is your first. There's nothing like the first. If you're a second-born child, I'm sorry. Don't tell my kids this. Something about that first. That first, you like, you know, you sanitize the passy. By the third, you're like, rub it on your legs, stick it back in the mouth. Come on, parents, somebody know. By the time you have a fourth kid, you're like, where is he again? We've left our children at church before. That's not a joke. (laughs) They were in good hands. Don't worry. They weren't just running around the buildings. Somebody was taking care of them. 
But in the history of the church, five years from now, you'll look back at fall of 2020 and go, this was a line in the sand moment. And, I, and I'm, not a, I'm, not one of the, I'm not a preacher that like, if, if you'll so generously into this building, then God will, you know, give you the new house. And new, I don't know about that. But I know your life will make a difference. I know you'll get to the end of it and have more to show for it than a career, which isn't bad, and a savings account, which isn't bad, and a 401k, which none of that is bad. I mean, be wise, invest, I do all that. I just don't want that to be all I have to show for at the end of the day. I remember our very first building project that we did, and God's blessed us with several now, but I remember the first one that we did. Um, we, we moved to Fredericksburg, Virginia. It's, it's a small community. There's maybe 150,000 people in our community. And just what God has done is a miracle, honestly. And um, sometimes God does it uh, because of you. Sometimes God does it in spite of you. I think a lot of it's been in spite of me. <laughs> but we moved there in 05, in 06. We, we actually planted the church and commuted for three hours every weekend the first year because I was finishing my master's degree. And... I told Tammy when we moved there, the housing market, that's, that, that's when it was just like on a crazy rise and insane. And I told her, I said, listen, God's called us here. We'll just never own a home here. We just need to get comfortable with that. Like, we'll never own a home here. And then the crash that, you know, everybody went through. And then there was these foreclosures. And um, I told Tammy, I was like, if you can just see it with me, I can see, I, we'll, we'll, put a, we'll put some sweat equity into foreclosure. We'll live it in a few years. We'll sell it. We'll roll that over. And then we'll do that again and again until we can, you know, afford the dream home that we want. And, um, and so that first house, we did that. We bought it. It was, a me- it was really a dump looking. Put new carpet in. Took out a wall with a buddy of mine. Tiled the kitchen. Painted some walls. And just did all this work to it. And it, and it really, um, it was incredible and then we went into this first building project and God spoke to us and said um, sell your house give all your equity to the church I was like well that's my down payment for my next flip you know God and so we we obeyed because you don't get to do the first again you don't get to set the precedent of faith in your life again it was a line in the sand moment and so we did it. We sold the house. It sold in five days at asking price. Appraised. We gave everything we made off of it to the church. And we moved into this facility. And since then, what God has done is just blew our mind. We've seen more than 10,000 people say yes to Jesus. That, that, listen to me. I want you to see that. That is worth presenting to God at the end of my life. You know what I'm saying? And great churches aren't built on the talents of a few people. It's built on the sacrifice of everybody. So I won't present thousands of salvations and hundreds of miracles and lives changed and college. And it won't be me and Tammy going, God, look what we did. It'll be all these life pointers going, God, look what we did. City Hills, it'll be God. We went, we, we went all in. We went ridiculous in our faith. We, we, we didn't settle it reasonable. The Hill Country didn't need a reason. You, I don't know if you've drove around, don't need another church in this area. There's a lot of them. 
But it does need a group of people full of ridiculous faith. That goes, we will believe God for the impossible. That we will pray until heaven comes down. That we will give until every life is changed. That we will serve until this community knows the love. Not religion. They know the love of Jesus and they see him in us. We will be a city set on a hill. That's what this area does need. All right, let me wrap up. I've got a minute, 30 seconds. We probably won't get it done in that much time. Y'all with me so far? Acts 3, verse 4. The next verse, it said, he said, he asked them for money, and Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. Peter's one of my favorite Bible characters. If if you don't read the Bible a whole lot, you should. It's fascinating, some fascinating characters. Peter's like half half saved, half hood. I love him for that. And he carries a knife. And I'm like, I can build a church with those kind of people. He, I mean, if you don't believe me, Garden of Gethsemane, he cut a dude's ear off. Jesus had to put it back on. You need some people in your church with blades. That's all I'm saying. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. He was expecting money. Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. Get up and walk. The content of your prayers reveals the level of your expectation. He looked at them expecting money, not a miracle. The content of your prayers shows your level of expectation. Are your prayers reasonable or are they ridiculous? It'll reveal what you expect from God. And it'll reveal what you believe God can do. He expected to get money. And Peter said, silver and gold I don't have. Peter was the guy you go to lunch with that when the bill comes, be like, ah, I left my wallet in the car. Sorry, man, no cash. No cash on me. Peter's that guy. The, the beggar at the city gate, this is, this is the... This is where you cross from reasonable to ridiculous. The beggar at the city gate had to be willing to let go of his jar, what he knew, what he was comfortable with, what had earned him a living all of his life. It's the only way the neuropathways in his brain even thought to think. He had to let go of that to take hold of this. He had to, let, he had to lay his jar down. All he knew was his jar. He didn't even know if when he went to stand up with the ligaments and the tendons and the muscles in his leg, they had never worked. Think about it. I mean, think about this practically. They had never worked before. They had never held his torso up. They had never felt the full weight of his body. He had friends that brought him to the gate every day of his life. He had been lame since birth. His legs had never carried his body. In other words, Peter was asking him to do something he had never done in his life. And to do that, he would have to let go of how he thought he was supposed to get his livelihood and take hold of this new way of living. And for some of you, you're going to have to let go of reasonable. And you're like, but pastor, if I let that go, I don't know that my legs will hold me. You got to let it go before you ever stand up. I'm sure he had to set his jar down and slowly begin to go, will this work? Is this going to work? 
and that's scary, I get it. But that is the moment of faith. And here's what I have found that is in the ridiculous where you find the miraculous. Naaman, go dip in the dirty Jordan River. I've been there. It is disgusting. Go dip in it seven times. It's ridiculous. Go roll the stone away from Lazarus' tomb. Jesus, that's ridiculous. His body stinks. It's been in there four days. Ridiculous. I'm going to spit in some mud and rub it on your eyes. And Jesus says, go wash it off in the pool and you'll see again. It's ridiculous. David, go down to Goliath with five smooth, smooth stones and a sling as a teenage boy up against a man that was measured to be at least nine foot tall. Ridiculous. Give into a project to help City Hills have their first church. I've already given, by the way. Our church gave. We sowed two weeks ago into this project. Ridiculous. That sounds ridiculous. Sell your house to give to a project. uh, That sounds ridiculous. No, no, no. It's in the ridiculous that I find the miraculous. It's in the ridiculous that you see the miraculous. You want reasonable results? Keep doing reasonable living. You want ridiculous results? Then start doing ridiculous living. You want to see God do exceedingly, abundantly, and above anything you can ask or imagine? You've got to be willing to go, I'm going to lay the jar down, and I'm going to live in ridiculous faith. I'm telling you, church, your best days are ahead of you. You haven't even scratched the surface of what God wants to do in and through this church. Do you know how many hundreds, thousands of churches did not survive the pandemic? You've got to step back and go, God, why you still got us here then? It must be for a purpose. Did you know the average church in America is 80 people and doesn't baptize anybody in one year? This is just the beginning. You're just scratching the surface. God wants to do exceedingly abundantly and above anything you can ask or imagine. The best, these aren't just cool phrases. This is ridiculous faith living that no God, the best is yet to come. There's more people to reach. There's more souls to save. There's more marriages to heal. There's more people to get on purpose. There's more individuals that need to know freedom. But it's going to take a group of people that'll go reasonable living I leave behind me. Ridiculous faith I step into. Not just as a family, but as a person. I'm going to live day by day by day in ridiculous faith. And I'm telling you, if you do, you'll look back and go, only God. That's my goal in life. Is one day to look back on my life, my ministry, my family. And replay the storyline of my life in my mind and go, that was only God and that was only God. And there's no other explanation for that moment except God. And there's no other explanation for that moment, but it was God. There's 
no other explanation but God in that and the God in that and God was in that and then what he did with my child that had to be only God and then that thing and then what happened to the college that was only God and then what God did there that was only God and I want you to get back and I want you to look over the course of your life and go man what God did that was only God and then remember when we were five years old and we got to sow into that thing and we paid cash hello come on somebody we paid cash to build out that building and I got to be in that that was only God and then watch what and then God fruit that was that was only God and then I want you to look back don't get back to the end of your life and go I don't know where God was and all that get to the end and go I left a legacy ridiculous faith call me crazy call me crazy all day long I'm not living for your approval I'm living for the audience of one and I have found this out that what looks ridiculous to you is reasonable to him so how do you want to live reasonable or ridiculous. Will you pray with me? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Thank you for graciously giving me an extra few moments of your time. I want to ask you a few questions. Number one is, what's God saying to you? And number two is, what are you going to do about it? Because just hearing the word doesn't do much. You need to apply the word. How's God speaking to you? about generosity, about faith, about stepping out, about going all in. And for some of you here today, you've encountered religion, but you've never encountered Jesus. If someone were to ask you, are you a Christian? You'd say, yeah. But when you lay your head down on the pillow at night and no one is around and you really think about eternity, you don't have confidence. You don't have the peace of God in your heart to know, yeah. Maybe, maybe through the last weeks, months, maybe over the pandemic, you just you kind of strayed away from God. And you need to come back today. You'd say, Pastor, I feel in my heart today that I'm kind of far from God. In a moment, we're going to pray together as a church family. If you'd say, I want to be included in that prayer, in just a moment, I'm going to count to three. I'm going to ask you to shoot your hand up. No one's going to come to you. We wouldn't embarrass you for the world. I just ask that no one's looking around. It's kind of a holy moment for people. But if this is your day, this is your moment, you would say, Pastor, I feel in my heart I'm far from God. I don't have the confidence that I have peace with God, and I want that today. You can have it, I'm telling you. But if that's you, with no one looking around, when I count to three, you just shoot your hand up high. I'm not going to come to you and embarrass you on three. One, two, three. Shoot it up. God bless you. I see 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 you. God bless you. Thank you. You can put them down. I'm going to ask you to pray this out loud with me, everyone, boldly out loud for the benefit of those who just raised their hand. We don't want them praying alone. Just everybody say together with me. Say, Jesus, I need you. I ask you to forgive me of all my sin. I believe you died for me. I believe God raised you from the dead. Today I make you my Lord and Savior. Thank you for a brand new beginning. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen. Come on, let's celebrate those who made that decision. Thank you for joining us today, and a special thanks to those of you who give generously to this ministry. You know, it's because of you that we're able not only to bring this message to you, but we're able to offer hope and life to the San Antonio Hill Country and beyond. So if you'd like to give today, you can visit cityhillstx.com right now. 
And if this message blessed you, why don't you click subscribe or share this message with your friends uh, on your socials. I pray it's a blessing to others in your world. Thanks again for listening today. God bless you.